with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to your Friday panel. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and today we've got Eric Allen, Peter Ewart, Art Betke, and welcome back to Herb Martin. We want to start with the... Uh, Canfor shutting down one of their pulp mills here in town. This is a huge blow to the community. 300 jobs lost. They're, they're thinking about 900 plus knock-on jobs that are related to that uh, that operation. A lot of opinions flying around about this. Uh, some folks are saying that this is because of old growth deferrals. Other folks are saying uh, this was a long time coming. We knew about it decades ago. Uh, we would have known this when we first started cutting down mountain pine beetle pine and increasing the AAC to deal with that salvage logging. Eric, what are you thinking here? Is this uh, is this something that the government could actually have done something about? Is this related to conservation efforts? Well, yeah, they could have left things alone. Uh, the liberals got rid of uh, apprentice and uh, that allowed the companies to... Uh, they didn't have to uh, mill the logs in the area where they logged them, so then they shut down the mills and extended the uh, capacity of logging trucks, and they trucked logs. I mean, we got the other side of Mackenzie, the trucking logs to Dunkley and things like that. So you couldn't have done that if you still had the emergency law in place. They could put it back in place, but, you know, it's so far down the road and there's so much damage been done, and that's just one aspect of the whole thing. I mean, it's... You know, export logs, just unbelievable. You know, I said it before, and I'm always repeating myself, but I was Prince Rupert in 1962. They were exporting logs, and of course they were exporting them all along the B.C. coast, and they've been doing it ever since in a huge, huge scale. Like, it's astronomical the amount of... So you got Russia, you got uh, Japan, you got other countries. They put restrictions on uh, stuff coming in and out of their country if it impacts local jobs. We don't do that, you know. The Americans put restrictions on us for dumping lumber in there. So if we want to stop uh, exporting logs, maybe we should put on a export tax. But there's a downside to that, too, which somebody else can talk about. Yeah, they're saying something like 6.5 million cubic meters of logs are exported on average annually. I mean, that's a huge... That's that's just shot about three quarters of the of the whole AAC in the Prince George timber supply area, which is a huge area. Herb, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I there are there are people blaming the current government for these job losses. There are people blaming the previous government for these job losses. Who's to blame? Oh, there's there's plenty of <coughs> blame to go around. So, um, you know, there's been a massive wood piles in the bush now for over twenty years, as they you know basically did salvage logging. So, quote unquote, salvage logging. <clears throat> but, um, you know, at one point uh, in Mackenzie, they were topping, and in Vanderhoof, they were topping at six inches. Um, you know, when, when I was logging in Ontario, uh, you started logging at six inches, not leaving stuff behind, right? So uh, we were topping at two and a half inches, and everything else went to the pulp mill. So if we'd been doing that here, we wouldn't be in that that uh, state of state affairs we're in right now. Uh you know, the Ministry of Forests uh, can be blamed for not enforcing uh, stricter uh, uh, utilization guidelines. Uh, Canfor can be blamed for not um, taking due care of their business, really. They, they basically <clears throat> creamed out the logs, cleaned, up, cleaned out the forests um, uh, with minimal cost because it costs money, money, of course, to truck that stuff in. It's not as cost-effective <clears throat> as burning it. 
However, they would have still uh, lot, um, fiber to feed to their mills. Uh, that being said, um, there there is uh, plenty of fiber still around. There's 50 me- uh, million meters of uh, substandard uh, fiber in Mackenzie that none of the companies want to touch. It would be perfect for pulp. The The question is, who pays for it? Because Canfor, if you look at what Canfor said, there is they never said there is no fiber for that mill. They just said it's not economically cost-effective. And what their version of economically cost-effective is it can be uh, seen by uh, uh, Vaughn Palmer's uh, um, uh, recent article where he said that uh, in Europe, um, pulp uh, uh, producers pay $100 less a ton than, than, um, than they do here. So uh, what he neglects to mention, though, is that um, uh, in Europe, they also get $200 less for the product. So, you know, this, this is, um, you know, BC logging is held to an impossibly high uh, standard that we have to always produce at the lowest possible cost worldwide. And, you know, that's not, uh, that's not realistic. And I think the, the solution to this is, um, is kind of a mix between what the, what the NDP and the Liberals have offered. Liberals have basically said that we should subsidize the, um, the pulp fiber to the mill. And uh, NDP said, well, let's, let's try and get away from uh, low-value low industries and let's, uh, sub, let's try and, well, essentially subsidize higher-value industries. Um, in the long term, uh, Canfor and West Fraser will own this town. If, and, and smaller companies like Dunkley, uh, uh, the Sinclair Group, and Carrier – are going to be uh, really put under a really difficult and, and probably impossible situation where they have no market for their for their uh, sawmill residuals, and which could force them out of business. And I think that is the plan for Canfor, that they <clears throat> only want to see one or two players in this market, and it's not a good thing for Prince George. So the Ministry of Forest has to buckle down, or, the, or I guess the government really has to buckle down because I don't think they can trust the Ministry of Forest at this point. And they have to reinstate export taxes uh, on lumber going to the states and collect the, collect the money here and use that money to uh, fund uh, the, the subsidization of these pulp mills to keep them going. And to uh, and to fund the overhaul of, of the forest industry here, Peter, do you think that uh, subsidies are actually going to keep the sub these uh, pulp mills moving, even if, as as many on the uh, more conservation side of things say, there just isn't adequate timber supply to meet the need? Yeah, well, I, I think that, yeah, I think just subsidies in themselves are not going to do it, right? You know, like as Premier Eby said, you know, the forests are exhausted. Bob Simpson, former mayor of Cornell, he talks about how the decline uh, in, the, in the forest industry is because of the failure of the industry to adapt to changing economic and environmental climate. Years spent clear-cutting and exporting raw logs. So anyway, there's all, the whole host of problems, as Eric and uh, Herb have pointed out, right? You know, like the massive over-harvesting, uh, all kinds of other problems. Neil Godbu in the Citizen today talks about how we have to, re- and I and I, I believe this. Uh, we have to reimagine forestry. We have to think long term in terms of uh, how to uh, how things are operated in in uh, in the province and in the region. In my opinion, too long for too long, government forest policy has been under the thumb of the giant 
globalized forest companies, and everyone else in the industry and the community is relegated to the sidelines. Our forests still have a lot of potential, but it is important that the governance change, that there's more community control over the forest resource, rather than the, the decisions being made in the faraway corporate boardrooms and uh, government offices. Does that mean that big forest companies would have no input? No, it does not. They, 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 sh they will have their input, but that's along with the input from everyone else, including workers, indigenous people, small and medium forestry companies, environmentalists, contractors, and other community members. No more lopsided decision-making where the big companies dominate. But we need new community-based mechanisms and processes to bring this paradigm shift about. The current political and economic processes just won't do. You know, there's been past examples of community control. You know, like Eric was talking about a pertinency, which is a, a form of community control. There's community forests. There's the forest trust concept, and and so on. You know, the um, we we have to learn from our experience, but also from other jurisdictions. Stretch our imaginations and develop new paths. It's all about deepening democracy. We and uh, and by we I mean the communities of the province should have should have more say over what happens to the forest that we live and work in. I think that's that's a critical thing. This is an opportunity for, to 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 change that paradigm. We're at the end of the road. The model is broken. Let's let's start stretching our imaginations and thinking about what how how we can move things forward in new ways and and deepen democracy in that regard. Art, do you agree? Is, is this about needing to have more community control, or is this uh, maybe can for actually being having their arms tied by uh, government uh, policy? How can the community control the something like the the Prince George pulp mills? It's like th those chips come from all over the place, from way beyond Mackenzie, from out Burns Lake, Vanderhoof. Uh, so which community is going to control them and, and say where they go? It, it, you just can't do that. The, uh, you know, um, and as far as this appurtenancy thing, that, that didn't have any effect on this either because it's the same amount of logs being cut, just fewer mills. Uh, one mill today can cut more than 10 mills could 30 years ago. It's, it's that, uh, you know, the modern mills are hugely efficient. Uh, they recover more good wood. Uh, and uh, almost no waste, and they, they just scream those logs through the sawmill. Yeah, but just remember, they don't create any jobs, so let's not lose our focus. Eh? Well, you, let's think about this. Uh, you hear economists always talking about um, worker productivity. So worker productivity doesn't mean people work harder or produce more by working harder, it means they can produce more because of technology. You get one guy on a feller buncher, he can cut way more than two, three fallers can. And uh, you get a pro wood processor, uh, the guy can work 12 hours a day in comfort and uh, produce way more than buckers can. This, one job and the same thing with the sawmills. Everything yeah. is uh, highly... Uh, uh, mechanized and automated uh, and this has been going on there were these things called luddites way back uh, <laughs> these people who were against Eric's uh, putting up his hand <laughs> against uh, mechanization and stuff and it, they said it was going to impoverish everybody and it went the other way 
So uh, you you got to you, you got to go with the reality. Uh, n- nothing could have saved that pulp mill. I mean, cutting down to four inch tops. We've been cutting to four inch tops for fifty years. Two I don't know inch. where Herb saw the the six inch. And uh, I was with a, a couple of organizations once that they did try going down to the two and a half inch tops, and they, they did it for one winter, and that was it. So. You know, they were experimenting, and I guess it wasn't economical or what. I don't know. Uh, it was local, right here. Um, so okay. when, you, when you had that pine beetle infestation, we upped the uh, allowable cut to use the wood before it deteriorated. We had a 20-year run. It was real good that way. But everybody knew, even before the beetles got here, that if we... They came, killed the wood, we log lots, and then there would be a downfall. And that's what happened. It's unavoidable. Peter, you wanted to respond? In my opinion, who are the Luddites are those who see, who see that there's no reason to change the forest practices that have brought us to this debacle that we're in. That's, that's where the Luddites are, uh, not, not looking ahead in terms of uh, that we need to change things. And in terms of community control, we talked to people in Mackenzie there who have watched for years now as logs are trucked out of their community and they have no say over it whatsoever in terms of community control uh, if Mackenzie had its way in all this there would be much different ways of doing things there so I think, I think that's what we have to do is get, get beyond the, the old thinking which has led us to this uh, problems that we're in get rid of the Luddite thinking and and reimagine, reimagine, and look at the whole question like of of deepening democracy, giving communities more say and more control. What's the, what's the matter with that? I do I do think that this is seems to me that the entire conversation is actually about values, right? Um, the for instance, uh, Herb's point about substandard fiber, that's a value statement, right? Another group might say say that. Well, what you see as substandard fiber, I see as fur bearer habitat, right? Um, what what uh, Art sees as efficiencies, Peter or Eric might see as job killing, profit manufacturing, right? So, like, I don't know, guys. Like, what are the values that we want to see expressed through the forest policy right now, and how are we, and how are we supposed to affect that? Well, the Ministry of Forests is supposed to be a Minister of Forests, not not of logging, okay? And they've been basically out there. But they cut the, that ministry in two, so that now it is the Ministry of Logging, right? Uh, basically, it's the Ministry of Logging now, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this, this and there's, look, there's nothing wrong, without being a Luddite, you can say that there's nothing wrong with technology. It just has to be used properly. Technology can be used or abused. And when you've got 15 clear cuts in Prince George District, that are greater than 3,000 hectares, that's an abuse of technology. It is the most efficient way to log. It is not the best for the forest. When you've got clear cuts that are two kilometers across, uh, there's no wildlife there. You've got, uh, you've got uh, uh, basically plantations, plantation pine that's coming up that are monocultures that support virtually no, no wildlife and that are pr- going to be prone to insect infestation and disease, as we will see in the coming years. So what we have to do is uh, basically what, what Canfor has been trying to do here is to try and limit um, the, uh, the output of BC mills. We can do that by making logging a little more expensive but more sustainable. 
So, you know, the thing is you, we can't keep equating lowest cost with being efficient because it's not efficient if it puts people out of work and puts mills out of work. Okay, we've got to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. If you're looking for those long-forgotten rock songs, then tune in to Beneath the Grooves with Jenny and BC Kid every Saturday night at 8 for deep-cut rock tracks from the 60s to the 80s. Hear from well-known artists like the Moody Blues and the Alan Parsons Project, as well as obscure acts like Sugarloaf and Madrigal. It's the band you love, but the songs you've forgotten on Beneath the Grooves. Saturday nights at 8 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Cheer on world-class athletes during the 2023 Nordic Canada Selection Trials and Nordic Cup at the Caledonia Nordic Ski Centre. Right now, Canada's best cross-country skiers are in Prince George to compete to earn a coveted spot on one of Nordic Canada's World Championship teams. The top athletes will represent Team Canada at the Nordic World Ski Championships. International athletes will also be on site training and joining in the action to add world-class competition to the races. Learn more at caledonianordic.com. Forecast from Environment Canada. Periods of snow ending near noon, then cloudy with a 60% chance of showers or flurries. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 3. Partly cloudy tonight, becoming cloudy overnight. Gusting south winds continuing, temperature steady near 1. For Saturday, periods of snow and windy, temperature steady near 1. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So we're talking about... uh the huge mess we're in, really, in forest, the forest economy here in BC. But I mean, as I was mentioning before the break, there's a lot of other values at play here, including community and, and frankly, conservation. I mean, Eric, what do you see as the future here? How are we supposed to get out of this? Well, first and foremost, you know, we've got a major problem with people with we could call uh, experience in the forest industry in government. You know, they're not really high on the tree when it comes to what's going on in the bush. You're up against major corporations. That's a big fight because they got all the money and they got the infrastructure. And then there's just the whole problem itself. Now, we talk about McKenzie and and uh, their timber going somewhere else, but we don't look at the other side. If the timber wasn't going too dunkly in these places, would we have a mill on this end shut down? Probably. You know, we need to know exactly how much timber we got, where it's located, who's going to log it, and where it's going to go. And we need a 10-year plan or a 15-year plan. Corporations have 5, 10, and 15-year plans. They know. We don't have that information. I think we need to do something as drastic as assess a 2% tax on everybody in British Columbia. That money is used to buy in stocks in major corporations, set up an organization that gets people to sit on the board of directors of these companies and get information firsthand because we're not going to get it otherwise and we're legitimate. I mean, when we talk about the Jim Pattison owning Canfor, all Jim Pattison ever did... And CKPG. Yeah. They put all, that disclaimer at the bottom of every article. Can't tell me that that's going to make it more, more true. No, no, but what I'm saying is when, when he says 
And if you look at his website, he shows Canfor as being one of the companies he owns. But in actual fact, he has 52%. Now, just think about this for a minute. This guy with 52%, you know what he really did in the forest industry? Nothing. He went out on the, on the stock market, and he bought 52% of this company. It so maybe we should go out yeah. and buy the other 40%. It's interesting. I mean, that's the, yeah. in Germany, for instance, they actually have like labor and other stakeholders who are required by law to sit on the boards of corporations that are that are listed there. Yeah. Art, you think that that's an idea? Bringing uh, people is that a way to community control? Uh, it, it seems to have worked in uh, worked well in um, in Europe, but uh, that's not community control. That's just uh, a part of the workforce being part of the decision making. Uh, you know, you look at McKenzie. It used to be the highest average income in Canada. Uh, they had three pulp mills, uh, two no, three sawmills, two pulp mills, and a paper mill. Everybody was making big bucks. They didn't shut down because the wood was hauled away somewhere else. They shut down because they were losing money. Every one of them, and uh, the fact that the wood is being hauled somewhere else just means that. At least that is still going. Uh, if you say, okay, you got to do it locally, where are you going to find somebody to invest a billion dollars needed to set up a modern mill in McKenzie? You're not going to find it. It's not going to happen. Um, now, you got to realize that these kinds of operations have been shutting down for decades now. There have been pulp mills. Every I used to hear about pulp mills in Quebec or Ontario or somewhere out east shutting down uh, because of costs or lack of fiber, that kind of thing. And I asked one of my acquaintances who uh, was working for Northwood at the time, and he said, yeah, Northwood is constantly cutting costs because they want to be the lowest cost producer so they don't go under like those ones do. <laughs> so, And the other thing is, uh, at one time when I first started working in the bush, uh, decadent rotten cedar hemlock and dead wood, that kind of stuff, it was left in the bush and they'd broadcast burn it, just scorch the earth burning that stuff because they couldn't use it. Now, uh, when pulp prices are high, lumber prices are usually low and vice versa. So uh, when uh, when uh, pulp prices are high, uh, Canfor Northwood, they would go into areas of rotten, junky cedar hemlock wood and log that for pulp. They didn't used to be able to use cedar for pulp. Now they can. A lot of the waste now is being utilized, but it's still not enough uh, because the whole downfall in in the the whole industry in the supply of fiber and, and that's the I, point hey i mean I, the supply of fiber yeah. and the and the location of the mills that's right? that's the big thing yeah. if you don't have the fiber doesn't matter wh- what mill is going they, they can't operate now i like the idea of smaller local things you know somebody sitting there with a you know doing salvage logging like herb said or that kind of stuff those would be good things to have it would uh, fill in niches you uh, do things that the big companies don't want to bother doing because it's not cost effective for them but, but how many uh, jobs is that going to produce, right? Like, it's not, not going to be this 300 or 1,200 as they're talking about with all no. the trucks, right? It'd be nice, but it wouldn't yeah. replace. It's going to be very things. different. Uh, the, I guess the, I haven't heard any of you say anything about wildlife habitat. I, you know, this is the, when you say like, oh, these, these rotten timbers out there, my understanding is that the, that's habitat for fur bearers. That's where you're. Some, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, actually that's where, uh, things like fisher who are about to be extirpated from our neck of the woods, 
They like the big old growth. Yeah, they have to. They stick around in rotten old trees, right? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I that we are kind of on the verge of having to make a decision about if if Pat Bell and uh, the the head of the uh, Public Private Workers of Canada and a few of the other folks who are saying who are advocating for the status quo get their way. Are we going to have, see any of those of that wildlife around anymore? Are we going to see, are we are going to be able to? Is anyone going to be able to shoot a moose in the next twenty years? Right? Well, you had like a seventy five percent reduction in moose population, and just just west of us. Okay, here's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't understand: that moose are not actually native to this area. No, that moose not. actually only came in after logging started, after after railways started and bur- burned down for us. There were certainly plenty of caribou. There were a lot of caribou. So we basically managed to chase most of those away. So at this point, are we going to take what we can get and maintain what we've got? Because, I mean, have you seen what they're doing with caribou now? They have to put them in pens and treat them like uh, like farm animals. Yeah. So, But, here, here, look, you have to step back a bit and look at the big picture. Uh, Sweden, with two-thirds of the uh, forest base that uh, BC has, produces 50% more fiber than we do. Okay, we have not actually invested in silviculture very much at all in this province. Uh, that's something that we have to have an inquest or an inquiry about. A royal got, commission or something? A royal commission, something along those lines, because we've really failed, um, you know, the we've squandered a natural resource here. And and But can they, I ask you, I mean, yeah. a lot of people point to Sweden. What does the forest look like? Like, is it a diverse forest full of animals, or Since is it a like monoculture? It, it is. Well, they have lots of There's moose. nothing but swirl, squirrels. Oh, they have moose? Yeah. They have lots of moose. Yeah. They actually, they actually um, uh, the forest companies um, uh, license uh, moose hunters because they actually manage four moose. So, and they're, they're, the moose is, uh, they're, they have ten times the number of moose we do per, per hectare or per, per land area. So, you know, the, the other thing to remember is that we actually have, like, a, a quality, a, a top-of-the-line product here. If you look at all the um, uh, fiber that's coming out of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, it's really... Fast-growing, full of knots. It's fast-growing. It's uh, squirrely as hell. They can't... Uh, carpenters can hardly make it to keep a, uh, keep a straight wall on it. So there's a premium paid for our our wood, and we should we should embrace that. Not always try and undercut them. I mean, it's it's a it's meaningless and purposeless to try and undercut uh, forests that can be grown in 30 years, especially when the characteristics are totally different. So our wood is uh, as well stronger now, actually, and and straighter, and uh, it should be running at a premium, and we should be willing to put uh, 10% export tax on it. To uh, basically keep the domestic industry uh, uh, that uh, we're, you know our, our our own building industry would have first crack at it and uh, at a lower price, and we would uh, benefit from um, uh, having some some of these uh, these funds uh, uh, kept in BC and used for let's say forest renewal or silviculture. All right, we do have to take a short break. We'll be back after this. Sorry, Peter. The UNBC Division of Medical Sciences Northern Medical Program is looking for individuals who are willing to be volunteer patients for educational purposes. Their undergraduate medical students currently need volunteers who experience cardiac and or respiratory conditions. If you're interested in helping as a volunteer patient, please contact the UNBC Medical Sciences Northern Medical Program Patient Program Supervisor by email to Dewin at unbc.ca or call 250-961-4553. It's a Nerf night for adults with a Valentine's Day theme at the Prince George Public Library. On Friday, February 10th, you're invited to shoot your shot at the downtown branch from 6 to 8. 
There is free limited registration for Give Nerf a Chance, so act quickly. That's Give Nerf a Chance on Friday, February 10th, between 6 and 8 at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. On Wednesday, January 18th at 7.45 p.m., Prince George RCMP responded to a complaint of shots fired near a retail store in the Parkwood Place Mall area. Witnesses saw two men in an altercation, then heard a shot. The suspect fled in an older model white or gold-colored four-door car. If you witnessed the altercation and can provide a better description of the suspect or vehicle, or may have cell phone or dash cam footage of the incident, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Local singer-songwriters Amy Blanding, Rochelle Van Zanten, and Kim Gucci share the stage with your Prince George Symphony Orchestra Saturday, April 15th at Vanier Hall. The PG Symphony Sessions is a celebration of local music with the original songs featuring new orchestral arrangements by Simon Cole. Tickets are available at the Symphony office and through pgso.com. The PG Symphony Sessions with Rochelle Van Zanten, Kim Gucci, and Amy Blanding joining your Prince George Symphony Orchestra Saturday, April 15th at Vanier Hall. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're going to keep talking a little bit about this. Uh, it's really the bugbear that, that has been kind of gnawing at the communities here in the north for a couple decades now. Peter, you had something to say? Oh, yeah, I, I think it's just important to, to emphasize, right, that this current system is broken. Uh, in terms of uh, governance and in, cur- in terms of the tenure policy. You know, how can it be that Canfor can sit on uh, uh, a whole bunch of timber for 10 years up in the Fort Nelson area? Or that uh, a town like Mackenzie, with all its rich resources and all this, uh, ha- has its mills shut down? You know, so we need we need to, uh, like Neil Godbout say, we need to reimagine and start thinking not just about the forest industry itself, but the forests themselves. Looking at them as, as ecosystems, I think is is very important. Uh, but also looking at the fact, like who makes the decisions about the the forest industry? There's too many of them are made away in far away government offices and corporate boardrooms. Whereas you have all this this rich material here, this human material here, whether it's workers, uh, indigenous peoples, small and medium forest companies, environmentalists, contractors, forest scientists, and so on. You know, uh, so I, th- I think that's important that we don't lose sight of the fact that there's a governance issue here. We need more uh, more community control over what happens to the resource. We live and work in this uh in the midst of this forest we should have a say over what happens to it that's uh that's a really compelling argument that i keep hearing full disclosure i do work for a number of first nations in the region but you know they say like we are here to stay we're not going anywhere why aren't we involved in decision making here and we've got partners amongst the smaller local forest companies who are also dedicated, you know, non-publicly traded forest companies who are also dedicated to maintaining long-term viability of the forest economy. Why why aren't we making these decisions instead of Canfor, etc., who basically wrote FERPA back in 2002 or whatever it was? That's, I mean, that's where, where is that, that local decision making, right? It's all, it's either happening in Victoria or the boardrooms. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. There's there's uh, there's there's actually a compelling case for um, more local uh, contractors and smaller scale logging. So you know James Stiel and I were a couple years ago. He's from Stop the Spray, and we went out to look at some uh, logging that was done recently up in um, uh, the, the McGregor Forest, and um, uh, they'd logged uh, previously there about 50 years ago, and basically just you know what they what they called at the time high grading. But what they did is they took out the the ore mature stuff and they left everything else behind. They never planted a thing, and then they went back three years ago and harvested it again, and again same sort of deal. They left uh, second stand growth behind. So that is uh, if you if you're looking at. Uh, uh, logging intervals, that's by far faster than any plantation will ever achieve. And no one had to plant a thing there. So by careful logging, uh, you can be more, uh, you, you can maintain some habitat for wildlife. Uh, you can, uh, you avoid the cost of planting. You avoid uh, basically the decimation of all sorts of species by clear cutting 3,000 or more he- hectares at a time. But all of this, every everything we've talked about here in terms of solutions has a huge reduction to the number of people working. In the, Actually, in that the would increase the number of people working. So when you have a guy... Well, like, would, it, would it allow them to be paid a living wage? I mean, that's... Yeah, the, I mean, basically, this is the thing. I mean, you could you could have a guy out there in a, in a harvester. It's not going to be a gigantic uh, uh, harvester, but it's um, you, you, you need a, like a zero-swing machine that can go into a forest stands without de- uh, destroying everything. And uh, and this he's is, not going to be as productive. This but, is what they do in the Burns Lake Community Forest. Well, and that, this, they've done this in uh, Fort St. James. They've done this at the model uh, forest there. There's a local uh, contractor here, Freya Logging, and they're starting to do uh, salvage logging or or, or uh, selective logging as well. And the costs are somewhat higher, but uh, in the short term, long term, it's cheaper. And it's and it's better for the environment. Uh, you don't have to bring in gangs of tree planters. You don't have to truck in uh, uh, plantation trees. Uh, you've got wild. Those guys buy stuff in Prince George every summer. Don't we want them to come back? Oh yeah, for the for the six weeks they're here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great for. Uh, they buy a lot of coffee. I know that. Much. And a lot of a lot of uh, old shirts and pants at Value Village. It's, <laughs> yeah, they clean them out every year. Uh, I mean, let's. Let's add to this conversation some of the some of the announcements that have been coming out this week. It's just been a flurry, right? But EB announced ninety million dollars for manufacturing. Uh, this is supposed to be, and it's funny, uh, Andrew Kiryata. If you guys are, are uh, subscribing to his newsletter, he's a CBC journalist. He, he pointed out that there were two announcements that looked identical. One was from Pat Bell in I think two thousand nine, and one was from David EB yesterday, right? Uh, we get the, it's, it seems a bit like deja vu, but is this, is the kind of manufacturing, uh, is that where we can go now? I mean, and, and, and the, I guess the question would be manufacturing for what? Are we going to be manufacturing for the mining industry or certainly not going to be manufacturing for the logging industry? Eric? Well, just to, to sort of finish off what Herb was talking about here, <clears throat> what he was talking about selective logging. It's been around for a hundred years. One time that was the only way you logged. People went in the forest, tagged the trees you could take down, and the other ones you left, and they self-planted themselves. That's, that's old hat. And But, yes, you can go back to that. If you want to solve the problem, you have to know where the fiber is, who owns it, can you get it back, what's it going to cost you. And then you take uh, Dunkley, Carrier, Lakeland, and get six or seven other companies that want to operate the same way they do, give them the timber in strategic areas, and let them look after the rest of it. 
the part of the it thing. It sounds like socialism. I don't know. No, no. No, those are all <laughs> private companies. <laughs> right, but you're taking away from the bigger players is what you're doing, right? But you've got to remember here that there's two different types of companies. There's a publicly traded company and a private company. If you had the same situation today from a private company... And things are getting a little tough. You know what they say? Well, we make less profit this year. We always refer to a private company as making a reasonable profit. You don't hear that kind of terminology in a public traded company. It's maximum profit. No, they have to give minimum cost. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So we have to, you know, and then when you fall that tree and, and skid it to a mill, that's the easy part. Anybody go over the power saw, knock it down, drag it to the mill, and make a two-by-four. But how do you get it to Japan, or how do you get it down to the southern U.S.? How do you get customers to buy it? How do you get the railways to supply cars? It's a huge process to get it to market. And we can't do that on the local community level. You have to be set up to have all those contacts and shipping companies, export terminals. That's actually one of the issues that Hampton, for instance, has been talking about is their lack of access to train cars. Yeah. Uh, apparently, apparently, uh, uh, wood products are somehow low on the list of, of CN uh, access. And so they've been sitting there in, I think it was the Fraser Lake uh, plant that they curtailed what in October. Um, they've been sitting on massive inventory because they haven't been able to get it out uh, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back talking about some of the other announcements that happened this week. Nature has the most amazing and unexpected color palettes. Join Anna Rose Georgeson for the day-long workshop, Color in Nature, on Tuesday. Color in Nature is a short crash course in color theory, analysis, and mixing colors from photographs, objects, and taking those color schemes from nature to create acrylic paintings. Registration and full details are available at tworiversgallery.ca and the gallery itself. Color in Nature, Tuesday at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Whether you're fed up with the nozzle failing to fuel your car at the gas station or you're a driver dealing with a flat tire, consumer complaints do not belong on the emergency lines. Ecom has released its annual top 10 list of calls that don't belong on 911. Check out the top 10 at ecom911.ca and find a comprehensive list of alternative resources on their website, nonemergency.ca, and remember to only use 911 for police, fire, and ambulance emergencies. The Alzheimer Society of BC offers free online education with small group workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Don't miss Living Safely with Dementia for caregivers and people living with dementia, Thursday, January 26th from 2 to 3.30. Explore how people living with dementia and their families can live safely in the community. For more information, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-933-6033 or visit alzbc.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. Periods of snow ending near noon, then cloudy with a 60% chance of showers or flurries. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 3. Partly cloudy tonight, becoming cloudy overnight, gusting south winds continuing, temperature steady near 1. For Saturday, periods of snow and windy, temperature steady near 1. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Art, it's your turn to fire up that chainsaw. <laughs> I did uh, actually work as a faller once. Um, you know, about the selective cutting, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a real nice idea, and it worked very well, but not everywhere. Um, I, I started out my working life in the BC Forest Service, and uh, one of the places I was working was the Lumbee area, and there was this one particular cut block that was always pointed out to new people who come in. Uh, 
for decades, they did selective cut, and then they moved up into the higher spruce balsam ground and did the same thing, and the first wind blew the rest of the standing timber down. And it depends on where you are, how that will work. Um, if you, uh, it, it, when you have uh, mostly pine stands, and there are some just pure pine stands that occur naturally, uh, they are basically this, all the same age. Uh, they spring up after a fire. Uh, you take a few of them out or half of them out, the rest are going to blow down. They just don't have the support. That You could see that right here in uh, in, in town at the, the, the cemetery. Uh, when the beetles killed all the pine and the city took all them out and left the fir and spruce standing the fir and spruce were bigger Uh, every time there was a a strong wind one or two would go down finally they just took all the rest of this fir and spruce out as well Um, so So you're pointing to the importance of a diverse ecosystem in the forest to support itself you can't do one, one, one recipe doesn't fit all situations you know those huge clear cuts they aren't because people greedily went in there and took everything that was standing. They're, they're because the bugs killed them. You, what's the point of taking small blocks and leaving a stand if it's dead anyway? Uh, but that, I mean, that is, that's now what they're saying is that's an open question. Although at the time it was best, best practice, you know, determined that all oh, this stuff isn't going to be merchantable after three years and, and it won't be any good for habitat. And now that people are starting to question that, first, that it can last longer and still well, be merchantable. Well, 20 years, but then it, the time comes when it... And there's no way we could ever use up that much. It, you know, we, we never got close to getting it all. Uh, and then, of course, there's Sweden. you got to remember, uh, Sweden, uh, back in the 19th century, basically logged off three-quarters of their country. They were busy building sailing ships. No, no, it wasn't that. They, uh, they were using it uh, to soften coal in coal mines. Huh. Uh, because they didn't have dynamite. And then so once it was cleared, they tried farming it. And a lot of their ground is not really suitable for farming. I've seen pictures of it at the time, great big boulders in the middle of these. It's like gla- glacial till, is yeah, that the term? Yeah, gravel, that kind of stuff. And so they had one fellow who was quite inspired, and he persuaded the government to go into a heavy reforestation program. And so Sweden's forests are heavily managed. Most of it, I think two-thirds or three-quarters, is privately owned. And uh, many of those are small plots, like five acres, ten acres. They're family-owned things. Uh, at, they must be logged. If you don't log your property when it gets to maturity, you pay higher taxes. When it is logged, it must be clear-cut. They were going to It extremes. must be clear-cut. That, this is previous to what they have now. No, this is, this is, well, it was a few years ago when the fellow from Sweden was giving us a seminar. Uh, they, they even went nuts. They, they even dug up stumps and used them. But they don't do that anymore, thankfully. Uh, but, yeah, it's heavily managed, and they, they do, they don't just go in and make one cut because it's all plantation except for the, the very little remaining natural forest. Uh, they don't just go in and take one cut and then plant it. They'll go in and cut to thin, you know, they plant a lot thicker than we do. Then they'll go in and take them when they're like four inches in diameter, and, and they use them for something. And then they'll go in and take them when they're six inches in diameter, and so on. And the final cut will be a clear cut. Uh, it's uh, between two and six different cuts before it's finally logged and replanted. I mean, it sounds like that might be a great idea to maintain plantations, tree plantations, but it doesn't sound like a great idea for forests or for wildlife right yet they have lots of moose here just to talk about the 
the David Eby has announced the BC Manufacturing Jobs Plan. Yeah, ninety uh, million dollars. Ninety million dollars and all that. Like, in my opinion, it's not a plan. It's a, it's just a subsidy that's being put out there. It's an announcement. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, and here's uh, from a CBC article. Examples of projects that could get funding include a forest company's purchase of equipment in order to create new timber products, or a company exploring paper-based alternatives to plastics packaging. If you look at what Canfor is saying and the BC Pulp and Paper Coalition, that's exactly what they're saying. So what, what's being talked about there is that uh, this is going to be a subsidy for, 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 for the big guys. Now, the problem is, uh, of course, with, uh, with Canfor, Canfor gets a subsidy. What's to stop it again from once again reinvesting in mills in the southern United States, t- taking the money and run? Running like who's making this decision in terms of how things are handed out here? Communities yeah. are still left out in the cold in terms of, of of where the funding should go and what the what the future should mean in terms of the forest industry. And I think that's that's the part that gets left out of this BC manufacturing jobs plan. I mean, there is something to be said for scale and capacity. Uh, you know, Macmillan Bloedel pioneered glue lamb timber, right? And even though those uh, those plants were closed and the manufacturing capacity moved to Oregon, they were the first first organization to be building glue lamb beams, etc. Right, structural timber products, and that 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 technology has now gone around the world. And Austrians are apparently the best at it. And that technology itself was brought back over here to the Kootenays for Kolesnikov to to set theirs up. Well, why not why not why not put the money into uh Research centers like UNBC, I think uh, uh, Neil Godbrew, that's what he's talking about, yeah. right? You know, in, in terms of something that's more long-term than just some short-term handout. So then who owns the patents? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole other question, yeah. Maybe the B, maybe the people of BC, maybe this maybe. is all moving towards the people of BC taking a bigger ownership stake in uh, in the future of the economy? I, I think that would be a good idea, yes. Yeah. Rather than having globalized forest companies... Uh, uh, being in control of everything. Yeah, it is an interesting point that, that these subsidies, like, are we, will we just be subsidizing the, uh, the, you know, people to be reinvesting somewhere else? The, the COVID money was, for a number of, of big corporations, the COVID money was basically flowing directly to shareholders, right? Well, all these companies now are, are talking about, well, they're going to go greener, right? But, but, but what they mean by that is that they want pub- money from the public purse rather than reinvesting their profits. They want subsidies from the, the public purse to bring that about. Right. Anyone else have a last word on uh, on this issue of... <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, Art's talking about uh, the situation in Sweden, how basically there's a lot of small privately owned uh, 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 forest uh, tenures, I guess. And um, so when he says they're clear-cutting, yeah, but they're clear-cutting at 10 to 15 hectares, which is not a large clear-cut. Um, the, the other thing is that that, would, that model would produce <clears throat> a lot of community jobs, <clears throat> intensive silviculture, uh, multiple rotations, um, or, or partial harvests along the way. Uh, that would be ideal for, uh, for isolated communities such as reserves. Hmm. You know, that would be uh, that would be a great way to do it. Uh, it's, it's intensive forestry, yeah. Yeah, and, and it works well. And labor intensive, I guess. We're going into four inches, yeah. Yeah, but if you set it up like that, but 
Well, we have to we have to set it up like that. But and you got to set it up exactly so, like that, so including what, private land. What we have been doing though is just uh, subsidizing uh, industry uh, to put roads farther and farther, and then and then basically the the taxpayer pays for the hauling, and so. then leave them there so that so the wildlife gets better. Ac- wolves have better access yeah. to indigenous wildlife like caribou. We got to take a short break, and we'll move on to another topic after this. The Public Library is teaming with Speak Right Academy for a Lunar New Year celebration on Saturday. The event runs from 1.30 to 3.30 and is free for all to attend. You'll learn about Chinese New Year traditions as we welcome the Year of the Rabbit, taking a hand drum-making workshop, a puppet show, and a lion dance by the Chinese Benevolent Association. The Lunar New Year celebration, free for all to attend, Saturday from 1.30 to 3.30 at the downtown branch of the library. Cheer on world-class athletes during the 2023 Nordic Canada Selection Trials and Nordic Cup at the Caledonia Nordic Ski Centre. Right now, Canada's best cross-country skiers are in Prince George to compete to earn a coveted spot on one of Nordic Canada's World Championship teams. The top athletes will represent Team Canada at the Nordic World Ski Championships. International athletes will also be on site training and joining in the action to add world-class competition to the races. Learn more at caledonianordic.com. Utilize the Arts North Digital Center for all your media needs. Located at Studio 2880, the Arts North Digital Center has a podcast center, graphics design space, and a photography studio loaded with great equipment waiting for you to try it out. Take one of their courses to begin your digital media journey. Find out more through the Arts North link at studio2880.com. The Arts North Digital Center, studio media for all at Studio 2880. Have fun with non-expanding recreation foam tonight at the downtown branch of the Public Library. It's a New Year Disco Nerf event from 6 to 8, open to people ages 13 to 18. Costumes are welcome, but may make you more of a target. The Disco Nerf is a free event, but with limited registration. To register, come to the library or call 250-563-9251, extension 108. Disco Nerf at the downtown Public Library, tonight from 6 to 8. Please arrive early to register. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're going to stick with uh, with natural resources policy and, and look at this interesting new uh, announcement around a, a deal with the Blueberry River First Nation. If anyone remembers, I think it was two years ago by now, they won a really big court case on the cumulative impact of uh, resource development in their territories. Um, no, sorry, that was June 2021. So now they've got a new deal that sets out 650,000 hectares of high value areas that are, that are restricted for development. Uh, timber harvesting is going to be prohibited in some areas. That means that there's 350,000 cubic meter reduction in the annual allowable cut in the Fort St. John timber supply area, which is about 15%. But what I thought was interesting was that there seems to be, if, if you're going to go in, if, if, corporations are going to go in there is a there's a fee they have to pay per hectare on new land disturbance in in the designated high value areas so if you want to go into these high value areas you just have to pay enough money to do it this is my this is my take on this thing eric what do you think well that's what it sounds like i, I forget the number they had a sixty thousand dollars a hectare yeah and then you know if you look at the number of hectares they made like that's a lot of money but yeah, it just opens the door and lets them in. It's also for oil and gas. I mean, that's yeah. a huge thing up there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe there's some cleanup attachments to it or something. I don't know, but uh, no, I. You know, the question comes out. It doesn't matter whether it's McLeod Lake or the Blueberry Band or whatever. The question is, 
Fort Nelson, and they go in and log it, who gets the logs? That's the question. Is this just a ploy to have another way to go in and get all the logs? And then when they're finished, they see around, we're heading south. Because the end result of these deals is Canfor or the mill, the big mining companies or something. They get what's there. And they don't have to go through the government. They don't have to live up to the environmental standards unless they're going to build them into the agreement. And I haven't heard that yet. So, no, we have to, we need to get some people that can see the big picture and put all the stuff up on a big board. How many trees we got left for how long? How many mills and jobs we've lost? This is a disaster. We're in the middle of a, a natural calamity. Not natural, but a calamity in the forest industry. And these guys, when we run out of trees, they're gone. When they had a big head, head on fight with Ray Rolleston years ago, Minister of Lands and Forest, Mac Blow basically said, you're going to do this or we're going to pull all our mills and go to Alberta. And uh, Rolleston said, well, see you around. I hope you enjoy working in Alberta because you're not getting this timber unless you do. <laughs> and that was the end of that argument. And we need more people like that say, no, you're not going to do that unless you do this along with it. And we know they got the profits. Look at the profits, $1.5 billion. Yeah. But that goes to shareholders. Yeah. Every year they got a new operating budget. That's all the money they got. So, Herb, do you think that uh, Minister Ralston is going to stand up to the big players like, uh, like Williston did way back in the day? Uh, I hope he does. I don't I, I, know. Let's, let's wait and see. But, uh, you know, the, the approach in, uh, in Blueberry First Nations where you have to pay to play, uh, interesting because uh, basically uh, in forest industry, there's tenure, which is um, just being given. So if we transition into something as a similar model uh, where basically the highest bidder gets the, uh, gets the wood, we would actually develop uh, a higher value industry out of it. But this is only in areas that have already been designated as, as disturbed so it just it just boggles my mind. They're saying that there's all this natural disturbance. We're just talking about moose and other and other habitat like wildlife that needs that needs this habitat. Oh yeah, we realize that those values have been totally decimated by oil and gas and logging. If you want to keep doing that, you just have to pay more money. That money doesn't make more moose, right? Like that's the big issue, Peter. Uh, well, yeah, like on, in terms of cumulative impacts, there was a couple of symposiums up at UMBC several years ago, which were very interesting, talking about how the cumulative impacts of, of industrial development overpowers the land and water base in a big way. You know, so they had a very effective uh, slideshow where they started off with a satellite picture of the of the region up in the northeast there, you know, which shows a green forest and all this. But then slide after slide, you know, logging roads, clear cuts, hydro lines, gas pipelines, drilling sites, sump sites, uh, mining sites, dams, whatever. And it ch changed that, that whole green thing into something that was very gray. And it's sort of like having a test tube and you just add chemical after chemical after chemical. And you, you, what's happening to the habitat there and so on. So the fact that uh, the Blueberry uh, First Nation uh, uh, sued on that basis, that the cumulative impacts were not taken into account, I think is a, is a step forward there in terms of the, the whole way the, the, the industrial development is developed in, in terms of the uh, ecology of the, of the forest and, and the land. So I think that's very important. Art, I think you might have last word on this. 
Yeah, I, as I understand, the whole court case was uh, that uh, this development did not allow them to pursue their treaty rights like hunting, fishing, uh, harvesting from the land, uh, trapping, that kind of stuff. Well, I got to say, I doubt they want to really do that. Uh, I'm sure they like to go hunting and that and fishing now and then, but not to live, to make a living like that. They don't want to live the way their ancestors do or did. I certainly don't want to live the way my ancestors did. It wasn't very pleasant compared to the way we live today. Now, you've got like 500 people in the Blueberry Nation, and uh, they're going to, they got a potential to become very wealthy, which is going to make them less willing to work like their ancestors did. So, uh yeah, I, I, th- I think they're going to do well. Uh, I, I wish them good luck, and I hope too much money doesn't ruin them, which I've seen before. If you get money for doing nothing, it hurts you more than it helps you. Okay, that's we're going to just quickly shift. I wanted to do one more topic here. Health guidelines on alcohol consumption have <laughs> drastically reduced the number of drinks that we're supposed to have in order to, in order to reduce our risk of of cancer, etc. I want to do a poll. Is anyone going to be able to make it down to less than two drinks a week, Eric? I would if I was drinking. I don't drink. But if oh, I there was. you go. Look at that. We got one. Okay, you're already but if down. If I was, no, I wouldn't bother with that. I mean, that drinking drinking or alcohol is a mood altering drug. If you're not going to get your mood altered, why bother? You're not going to do it with the Pepsi. No. Herb? Uh, I'm probably below that if I average in all my years. So you guys are both just high on life. Peter? <laughs> yeah, no, I, maybe I have one drink of wine a day or, or so or whatever like that. But it's, So that's seven but, a week. But, but, but that's five more than you're supposed to be having. The drinking's been going on for the last 5,000 or 10,000 years. I don't think it's going to change that There's much. a lot of other things to kill us, I guess. Hey, Art? Well, you know, over the years we've heard all kinds of studies about the benefits of drinking this alcohol. It, right? And now here's one that says there's these horrible things going to happen to you. I think they balance each other out, so no, I'm not going to cut back at all. <laughs> right on. Okay, well, we'll just keep Caribou, a local company, you know, continuing to supply us with the, the beverages of choice here. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, Prince George, proudly partnered with local community groups like the Railway and Forestry Museum on River Road next to Cottonwood Island Park.